Hello and welcome to the Select Sector Spider Sector Digest podcast for the week of July 24th, 2023. I'm your host, Paul Bayaki, ready to dig into all things sectors for the week ahead and look back at the week that was. And it was a week in which we had very different sector leadership. The market did eke out a gain, S&P 500 up 70 basis points or so, which takes the year-to-date gain to 18.15%. But unlike last week, which was a comprehensive rally, and unlike most of the year, it wasn't the sectors that have been leading the market so far in 2023 that led the market this week. In fact, it was kind of the mirror opposite of what we've seen so far in 2023. Technology basically up or flat, up six basis points. Communication services down 2.4% or so, and consumer discretionary down 2.3%. So the rest of the market was up. Some of those gains were fairly muted, but you had three sectors, real estate, communication services, and consumer discretionary down, technology basically flat, and then you had some pretty significant moves in some of the defensive sectors. Utilities up 2.41%, staples up 1.82%, and healthcare up 3.5% or so. So again, the defensive sectors outperforming the cyclical or growth sectors, and the best performer this week was actually energy up 3.52%. So a very different picture this week, partly because of the economic data that we got, which I'll get into in a minute, but also partly because some of the earnings that we got this week, which impacted those sectors like consumer discretionary in the case of Tesla and in the communication services sector, perhaps an unwinding of some of the very aggressive positioning that we've seen in some of these growth-oriented sectors. Now, you look back at the week, at, at least the economic data, and we had retail sales weaker than expected. Housing starts were lower than expected. Existing home sales sort of right in line. And then outside of that, we didn't have any significant economic data points until the end of the week when we had leading economic indicators, which were actually worse than expected. And now we're at the lowest level we've seen since summer 2020 on the leading economic indicators index. And for those of you who don't remember or wish not to remember, that was the height of COVID. And we got some really interesting pieces in that leading economic indicators index. In fact, if you look at the senior manager of the business cycle indicators at the conference board, what she said, she said, the leading index has been in decline for 15 months, the longest streak of consecutive decreases since 2007, 2008. We all know what that means. GFC, great financial crisis during the run up to the great recession. Taken together, June's data suggests economic activity will continue to decelerate in the months ahead. We forecast that the U.S. economy is likely to be in recession from Q3 2023 to Q1 2024. Moreover, elevated prices, tighter monetary policy, harder to get credit, and reduced government spending are poised to dampen economic growth further. Unpacking the data... We see that, as we all know, higher interest rates, higher levels of inflation, tighter credit environment, and less fiscal stimulus is all putting pressure on the economy, all of which we know, all of which we see 
in real time, all of which we also experience in our day-to-day lives, and yet here we see it playing out in the Leading Economic Indicators Index. So now we can put a bow on this section and see that it's been 18 months since the leading economic indicators peaked. And as we've talked about previously, the average is just north of 10 months between when the leading economic indicators index peaks and when we see a recession. Now, that doesn't mean that every time every recession comes 10 months after the leading economic indicators index. In fact, we just mentioned the GFC. And for reference, there was a 20-month period between when the leading economic indicators peaked and when that recession occurred. So here we are, 18 months on from the latest peak in the leading economic indicators index, and yet we don't have any tangible, concrete evidence of a recession. But conference board and other market watchers seem to anticipate a recession pending either next quarter or in the first quarter of 2024, which we all know doesn't mean that the market has to decline, doesn't mean that the market has to sell off. In fact, we've often seen the market look through recessions. And if this is, in fact, a shallow recession or perhaps a very tame recession, then in theory, the market is doing its best to look through that potential outcome. On the earnings front, we had about 70 companies report this week alone, largely tied to the financial services sector, Bank of America, Morgan, BNY Mellon, Goldman, as well as a number of regional banks. And the tone seemed to be somewhat negative. In fact, we had a number of these companies increasing their credit loss provisions, which is in theory an anticipation of a challenging credit environment. We also heard from Tesla, which the market didn't like at all, and there's a number of ways to unpack that report. And then finally, we had Johnson & Johnson, which had a really strong quarter and helps perhaps explain why we had such a strong week from the healthcare sector, as I mentioned, up nearly 3.5% for the week. We had 694 million or so shares traded across the select sector spider lineup, which is a pretty robust week. And... All in all, from a flows perspective, it was another week in which financials dominated the flows picture. Surprise, surprise. 22 million or so shares net creations across the select sector spider lineup. 22.5 million in XLF alone. The outflows or the redemptions came from XLE, 5 million plus shares redeemed out of XLE, 5 plus million shares redeemed out of XLP. The flip side is we saw 6 million shares created in XLB and about 6 million shares created in XLC or communication services. So actually some meaningful creation and redemption activity anchored to, of course, the big number from XLF, but by and large, repositioning across the sector lineup this week away from energy, away from staples into materials and into communication services. And materials is actually the sector in focus this week. And part of the reason materials is a sector in focus this week is because it's been a while since we've talked about the sector. And materials is interesting because most people think materials, they think commodities, they think metals, they think mining. And in fact, metals and mining is just 16% of the sector by weight. It's 68% chemicals. And the reason... Most people associate materials with metals and mining, I think, is historically those companies have had a larger weight in the sector and the chemical sector has grown. But what's also unique about the material sector is that there are some cyclical components to the sector, 
that are really worth watching. And when you think about that chemicals industry, it's benefited recently from decline in natural gas prices, which of course is a feedstock to so many of those chemicals. But also the the metals and mining component does have a cyclical nature to it. Construction spending, construction investment, overall economic activity means more demand for steel, more demand for copper, more demand for some of these raw materials. Now, the flip side is a lot of those chemicals are in many ways economically agnostic, if you will. These are inputs to the sort of day-to-day consumption of global economic activity. That's not to say that those companies and those segments of the market aren't economically sensitive, but in some ways, you've got this dichotomy in the sector whereby some of these components, copper, for example, have this cyclical nature to them, but they also have this secular impact coming from the energy transition, which we talk so much about. And to that end, you've got the push-pull, which we talk often about on this podcast between what's going on in the near term, what's going on as it relates to the business cycle, and then what's going to happen over the course of the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And copper demand is likely to surge as a result of the electrification of the economy, the energy transition, the needed copper for EV construction, the needed copper for the build-out of electricity infrastructure and improvements to the grid and all of the things that are going to enable us to transition away from ICEs or internal combustion engines and have more electric vehicle adoption. And again, in the here and now, you look at XLB or materials, it's performed really well, outperforming the market comprehensively over the course of the past month or so, dating back to the beginning of June. And interestingly, it's a sector that continues to trade at a significant discount to the S&P 500 on a valuation basis, whether you look at trailing PE, forward PE, price to cash flow, price to book. And it's a sector that definitely tilts value, definitely is oriented more cyclically as a result of everything that we talked about. But also, one of the things about materials that's really interesting is a lot of people don't pay a ton of attention to it, largely because it's not a huge weight in the S&P 500. It's less than 3% of the S&P 500 by weight. So we know just by virtue of our understanding of the economy, of the business cycle, of global economic activity, supply chains, et cetera, et cetera, the materials companies do play an important role economically. But from a market perspective, from an investing perspective, materials isn't one of the sectors on the tip of most investors' tongues, certainly not something that most people focus on in a day-in and day-out basis. But when you look at Emerging markets, you look at global economic activity, the threat of recession here in the United States, and those are the headwinds for materials, while some of these long-term secular trends, whether it's increasing demand for petrochemicals, increasing demand for copper, as we mentioned, as a result of the energy transition, are tailwinds. And that push-pull is ultimately going to play out, not just over the course of the next few months, but over the course of the next few years. Looking ahead to next week, this is one of the fullest weeks we've seen in terms of economic data and earnings. And in fact, it's another Fed week. So the market widely anticipates another 25 basis point increase. But, and I know you've heard this before, the market also expects this to be the latest or perhaps last interest rate increase from the Fed, at least in this latest cycle. We'll see what they say. We'll see what the post 
meeting press conference says, but by and large, the market seems to be anticipating that the Fed is going to start showing indications that it's going to be more dovish. We're also going to get S&P manufacturing and services PMIs. We're going to get a ton of housing data, Case-Shiller, new and pending home sales data. We're going to get a GDP print. And then finally, at the end of the week, we're going to get PCE, or the Fed's favorite indicator of inflation. So top to bottom, one of the fullest weeks of economic data. And that's backstopped by a tremendous amount of earnings data as well. We've got more than 150 S&P 500 companies reporting this week. And we've got the big dogs. We hear a lot about the Elite Eight, these companies that are driving so much of the market's performance this week. Well, they're going to report earnings this week, or at least some of the most influential companies in that cabal. Microsoft, Google, Meta, Amazon. And that's not all. These aren't just high-flying sectors that we're going to hear from. We're going to hear from Coca-Cola, Procter & Gamble. So, Consumer staples companies. We're going to hear from Visa and MasterCard, two companies that are sort of newly minted in the financial sector and have pretty large weights in there and constitute, as we all know, more of the growth in that financial sector. We're also going to hear from Lind, the largest company in the material sector, which is incredibly influential in terms of the market's interpretation of the material sector. And then in the energy sector, we're going to hear from the big dogs as well. Chevron and Exxon. So just a textured week of economic data and earnings that is going to provide for a really interesting market week once again. And that's why the market is so interesting because it is so dynamic and every day, every week is very unique and very different. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone for joining me once again. My name is Paul Bayaki, Chief ETF Strategist at SSNC Alps Advisors. I hope everyone has a wonderful week. I appreciate you tuning in. Please do visit sectorspiders.com for additional information on sectors and all of the tremendous amount of resources available to you on that website. Take care.